anyone who studies the cultures on this planet will notice very quickly uh, that there are many different religions. And there are many different religions uh, throughout the world, uh, and they don't even uh, predominate in particular areas. There may be areas where there are many different religions. Uh, there may be areas where there are just one religion that predominates and doesn't allow any others. Uh, there are some areas that allow a predominance of religions and uh, everyone's allowed to worship uh, the way they wish. However, what you have to notice if you begin studying religions is that there are differences among them and often profound differences. And also, quite often, uh, within these differences, there is uh, direct accusation at other religions that they're incorrect and that the truth is only found uh, within one religion being the one that uh, that religion uh, is. If one is trying uh, to learn about the truth and learn about reality, one of the things that comes on this plate of knowledge is attempting to understand God and uh, attempting to understand the relationship between man and God. Now, all of these religions offer an understanding as to what God is, who God is, uh, an explanation of God, and the relationship between man and God. But the scriptures tell us that a people are governed in a way that reflects who they are. In other words, their national situation has to do with who they are as people. In other words, there's an influence on the surrounding country of the way people are, and that comes back on them in the way they're governed. Well, this goes a little further. In reality, the way people are influences the way they see God and the, the way they define God and the way they worship God. For instance, a cruel, harsh, barbaric people see a cruel, harsh, barbaric God. And that God allows them to do cruel, harsh, and barbaric things in his name. A genteel people with appropriate behavior towards each other and kindness towards each other see a gentle, kind God who expects people to be gentle and kind towards each other and have tolerance towards each other.
So, is God defining himself for us, or are we as people defining God based on our own proclivities, the way we want to see things and the way we want to do things? And do we, as peoples, define God so that he fits our idea of society so that we can do what we want, as opposed to doing what's correct and what's appropriate? Now, we can see this from a societal point of view, very easy. And the anthropologists can study society and give all kinds of explanations about why this branch of uh, this country prays the way they do. Why the people in the Amazon have animist uh, belief systems and how they were developed. Why the desert dwellers have monotheistic belief systems and how they developed. The more important question is, what is my belief system and how did it develop and what does it allow me to do and is my belief system so embedded in me so that I can continue to act in my habitual ways that when the truth comes and stares me in the face, I deny it because of my established belief system. So, have we defined God to the exclusion of the truth? Or are we searching for truth so that God can be shown to us in his truth? What is actually going on in our life and what is the actuality of our living experience. If we define God so that we can do what we want, then our will is creating an idol. Since God, Allah, is beyond definition, beyond understanding, why do we spend so much time trying to define him? Why do we spend so much time trying to explain who and what he is? Shouldn't we be spending more time trying to open up who and what we are and how open we are to the truth? If we don't want to discover ourselves, and through discovering ourselves, discover reality, there are lots of distractions that we're capable of entering into. And one of the most usual for theologians is defining God, and explaining who God is, and telling people what they have to do in order to appropriately worship him. No different than petty politics. No different than petty monarchs. 
no different than the small usurpers who try to control small areas of land to aggrandize themselves. We need to somehow detach ourselves from all of these definitions. We need to create a clean, pure slate. And we can do this within form, or we can do it outside of form. But we have to understand that we were born into form, and form is part of the makeup of who we are. And if we abandon form entirely, we may be abandoning our ability to hold on to reality because our form is part of the paradox of our spiritual existence. And in paradox, there are not easy, direct answers. Paradox leads to aha moments that are often incapable of being expressed in words. Words alone cannot explain things that don't seem to make any sense in the world of form. For instance, you have to pray to the East, but it doesn't matter if you pray to the East or West. Now, what does that mean? You have to pray in one direction, but it doesn't matter which direction you pray in? What does that mean? You wrote this round. That's one of the things it could mean. In understanding paradox and in our own ability to stop needing direct answers, but instead looking for a spiritual balance within our being that finds contentment, we've developed a different way of approaching God. Instead of defining God, why not become content with God? Instead of defining reality, why not become content with existence and let existence unfold before you? Can you force reality to open its door? Or is the door already open and you have to learn how to see it? What does our will have to do with it? And what does surrender have to do with it? And what's the difference between will and surrender? So the question of, do we have free will? Might be, can you surrender as an answer? The point is that we create dilemmas that we try to solve that have no particular connection to the solution. Since we have no idea what the solution is, 
we create questions that we think pertain to the solution and we spend our time trying to answer those questions and they have nothing to do with the solution. They have to do with our inability to ask questions, with our inability to be content and with our need, or is it the mind's need, to constantly be activated and constantly be striving towards something. Can we stop striving? Can we be content to sit and wait for the truth to envelop us when the truth is ready to envelop us? Can we detach ourselves from all of our strivings? Can we detach ourselves from all of our assumptions? Can we detach ourselves and allow the pure essence of the truth to overwhelm us and take us from one place to the next? And then when it comes, can we be clear enough of our own understanding of things to allow the truth to be seen without being colored by our own notions? Can we give up opinion? Can we give up notions? Can we give up ideas? Can we be a child again? starting to learn? Or has our own arrogance and our age told us that we've learned so much? How can we give this up? Rumi screamed at Shems when Shems took his books and threw them in the river. Why? Because this was his accumulated knowledge. And what did Shems say to him? There is no value to it. If there was no value to Rumi's knowledge, who was the most learned man of the time, what is the value of our knowledge? And do we have the courage to ask that question to ourselves. Do we have the courage to ask the question of all of this that we've accumulated up to this point, does it have any value? The word accumulated by itself has implications. If you've accumulated things, it means you have ownership. Is there ownership? And what is the attachment of ownership? What is the implication of the word mine? And what is the effect on you once you attach mine to something? This is my religion. This is my understanding of God. This is my view of the world. This is the way I see things. This is, this is, is 
and I become very, very similar. Is is only going to disappear when I disappears, and then truth can replace is. Not an easy thing to do, but certainly something to think about and something to understand. You see, the mind, in order to capture you, becomes a religious scholar. And the mind, in order to hold you in place, becomes a religious authority. (coughs) (coughs) Satan can recite the verses better than anybody else. He knows them all. And he sits next to you, whispering them all into your ear so that you can become an authority. Are we willing to give up our authority? Are we willing to give up our ownership of the truth? Are we willing to give up our I? Now, within that understanding, things become clearer. Within understanding that free will and surrender may be part of the same equation, we may begin to understand things. We may begin to understand that truth and contentment have some nexus. And if there's no contentment in your truth, it may just be the I screaming, this is what I believe. And the need to continue to be able to scream that for your own so-called self-preservation and sanity. So, we've defined our own sanity. Are we willing to give it up? Are we willing to become part of the crazies, the one who don't hold opinions very strongly, the ones who allow other people to essentially believe as they want without becoming excited, to not be involved within the framework of the kinds of actions that insist on external behavior from others. Can we enter into that realm? And what are the implications for our life and the way we see things if we enter into that realm? And how do we enter into that realm? A quick answer. We need to be able to impartially, without opinion, without emotion, and without motive to view our existence. We need to be able to witness our life without making emotional judgments about it. And through extensive witnessing, through doing this over an extensive period of time, we begin to be able to see 
the reality of it. We begin to be able to see what's right and what's wrong from an unjaundiced point of view and an unjaundiced eye. And what you need to know is that the key to this is being empty of opinions and being empty of points of view. And slowly, as we break down all of our thought patterns and our ideas, we can be built back up slowly because after a while, the truth becomes self-evident to us. Not because we were told, not because we read it, but because it becomes part of our cell structure because we've watched impartially and we are now sensitive to reality and reality can actually influence us. All of the armor that pushes reality away is let go because our opinions are armor, our thoughts are armor, our ideas are armor, our definitions are armor to protect that self that we've created since we were children and we now call me. Hallelujah! Me! What is this me? What is this I? Who am I? And that's when that question comes. But that's when it actually comes. When you say, all right, all of this is here, but I really don't get it. Why, if I'm, if I, if I'm so educated and I'm so knowledgeable, why do these questions keep coming to me? Why don't I still find contentment? Why do I still react in an unnatural way? Why am I still overwhelmed by the daily burdens I have to encounter? Why? Who is it that's overwhelmed? Who is it? that can't handle this existence? Who is it that cares so much? Who is it that's having all these problems? Who? 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 Who is missing? Who hasn't taken a seat within this being? Who hasn't been allowed in? Who? So, when we begin to approach things in this way, things become less hectic and time slows down. Anxiety dissipates. Anxiousness goes away. And contentment enters us. And then we're able to really see without having to protect ourselves, without having to be in situations that require defense mechanisms that just allow things to go by. And as we do that, the door to reality opens and we see differently. 
but we don't see with these eyes. And since it is our nature to think that we have to see everything with these eyes, many people become confused and think they're not seeing anything and therefore go back to the way they were. You begin to see in a different way. What you see with these eyes doesn't necessarily change all that much, but what you feel internally changes dramatically because now where there's conflict, you see peacefulness and you see inappropriate actions and the fact that there's great confusion and animal qualities residing in the world. When you see somebody who's angry, you see a cat when it gets nervous and its back goes up and you see that person with its back up like that. Now what would you do when you encounter a cat with its back up like that? Would you try to pet it? Or would you try to go, would you just go away until it relaxes its entire being and can be functional again? You understand when not to get into situations. You understand when to walk away from things. But you understand it on an instinctual level. And instinct is not exactly the right word. But it's on a level of where you're in touch with the real. And you begin to understand that there's a part of you that is what's real. And when everything is stripped away from it, that's what comes forward. And what that, when that's sitting in the forward position without being influenced by all of the accumulation, mine, that's happened to us over the course of our lives, we become very, very different people. There's dignity to our bearing. There's repose in our stature. There's calmness in our voice. And there's serenity in our experiences. May we all come to this state of peace. May Allah grant us the understanding so that we see this, feel this, taste this, and be this. Amen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.